the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Joshua. God had proven his faithfulness and steadfast love to the nation of Israel time and time again. The Israelites had conquered the land, each tribe dwelling where they were assigned by God through the casting of lots. The Israelites were to continue in obedience in driving out the rest of the inhabitants of the land. Twenty years had passed, and the land was still not completely conquered. The people had been slow to drive out the remaining Canaanites from the land God had promised them. Joshua called the leaders together to remind them to love God above all else and put his word first. Joshua reminded them of how God had been faithful to the nation since the beginning and that they were nothing special without God. They must choose to follow after God. We join Pastor Will in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. So Joshua calls them to make a choice, verse 15. He says, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, if it is displeasing to you, the word evil means to upset you or displease you, to find something to be unacceptable. If that's not acceptable to serve him alone, faithfully with all your heart, if that's not acceptable to you, then choose you this day whom you will serve. Select who your preference will be. Make a decision between the options, whether the gods whom your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. If you're not going to serve the Lord, then Pick one of these other deities to follow. Pick one of these other pantheons to follow. But make a choice. Don't kid yourself into thinking you're serving the Lord and you've got these idols remaining. See, here's the reality. Israel can very easily erase the result of 500 years of God's goodness and return to how things were for their ancestors. Very easily. All they must do is decide to live life without the Lord again, just like their forefathers did. That's all they have to do. Live life without the Lord. And you know, much of Israel's history chronicles their decision to do just that. They decide to live life without the Lord, and then it all comes crashing down. And we'll see it in Judges. We'll go through these cycles where they repent, and then they come back, and then they decide, oh, we got this, and they live without the Lord again, and it comes crashing down. But here's the danger. Each time it comes crashing down, they pull a little bit farther and farther away from the Lord until the time comes about when Samuel, before he becomes the first real good judge they've had in a while, Israel's so lost they don't, they don't even understand their own worship. Israel's so lost. They aren't keeping the Sabbath. They aren't worshiping at the tabernacle. They haven't kept a Passover in like 200 years. That's how far off they'd gotten by that time. Now, when Jesus came, Israel was in the same spot. May not have been idols. They'd already learned that lesson. But they were still doing life on their own terms without the Lord. And if Israel can struggle with this over time, it means we face the same challenge. We have God's spirit inside of us. We still face the challenge. We can every day choose to say, I'm going to live this life this day without the Lord. In Matthew 6, 19 through 24, it says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust does corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Instead, 
says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust does corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. And why do we need to do that? Because where our treasure is, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So if your treasure is something here, you're investing in here, that's your treasure, well, that's where your heart's going to go. It's just how things work. He explains, the light of the body is the eye. Well, if therefore your eye be single, the word there means healthy, well, then your whole body shall be full of light. If my eye is working like it's supposed to, the rest of my body can process the light as it comes in and I can see things correctly. But if your eye be evil, the word there means unhealthy, well, then the whole body shall be full of darkness. You've got to pull on other resources to know what to do. Now, if therefore the light that is in you be darkness... Well, then how great is that darkness? In other words, the greater danger, though, is if you think light's coming in, or the light that's coming in, and you're looking, and you're investing, and you're taking care of that eye, but what's coming in is darkness. It's not really God's light. Oh, no, now you're, that's even worse. Because now you think you're okay when you're not. And Jesus says, guys, no man can serve two masters. This is the problem. A single eye is the idea of just one that's focused on the Lord, dedicated to him, laying up treasure in heaven. No man could serve two masters because this is what it will result in. For either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will cling to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God. And Mammon was the name of one of the Canaanite gods, the god of wealth, riches, and pleasure. I can invest my life into accumulating good things here which have no guarantee and they are temporary, even if you achieve what you're trying to invest into. Or I can invest my life into accumulating good things in heaven, which is guaranteed and lasts for eternity. Sounds like a no-brainer, right? I mean, that's what Jesus said. But we struggle, don't we? And if you don't, I know I do. We struggle. Here's the problem. It's not that we, like Israel, decide that have the choices set before us. Oh, we choose the gods of the Amorites. That's not the problem. The problem is what Jesus brought up. We dabble in both. We dabble in the Lord and we dabble in a little bit of idolatry. And in the end, that will always end up frustrating us because eventually we will choose the temporary. Joshua says, I'm not dying with you thinking that lie will work. You're going to make your choice today. You've been dabbling. I'm not going to die and let you think it's okay to dabble. You're going to make your choice today. And I love what he says here. I've already made mine. As for me and my family, my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, I love this because it means Joshua had already had this discussion with his family when his health started to fade. He had already sat them all down and said, okay, let's talk. I'm dying. Where are you at with the Lord? Where are you at? And he said, I've already spent time with them. We've already made our commitment. What will you decide? What will you decide? As for me and my house, we've already decided to serve the Lord. And I love this about Joshua because it gives us a small glimpse into why he was such a great leader. Because the truth is this, if you want to take the time to invest into the spiritual well-being of your spouse and your children, it's absurd to think you can meaningfully invest into the lives of others. It's absurd. Joshua was an impactful leader because he led in his home first. So that's done. Joshua said his spiel. So the leaders deliver Joshua's message and the response is unanimous. Verse 16, and the people answered and said, God forbid bid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. God forbid, Joshua never even suggests that we would serve the gods of the Amorites or the gods of the Egyptians or the gods of our forefathers. How dare you even suggest it? For the Lord, our God, we've made that choice too, Joshua. He's our God. And we know what he's done for us. 
Now, was Israel perfect at this point? No, not at all. But they really did want to follow the Lord. I believe that with all my heart. They were truly grateful for all God had done. And they agreed with Joshua's history lesson that was God who did it and not they themselves. And so they said, we also have chosen to do this. Just like you and your family, Joshua, we choose to serve the Lord. Man, what a, what a good response, right? What an awesome response, which is what makes Joshua's reply so strange. Verse 18, and the Lord drove out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord for he is our God. I mean, it's almost like one of those moments, a hype moment. You're just like, you know, you need to play like KB song. I believe that we will win. I believe that we will. You know, it's like a hype moment, right? Right? Somebody knows what I'm talking about. And Joshua comes out and he just cuts all the air out from underneath him. He goes, he said unto the people, you can't serve the Lord. For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he has done you good. What an odd response. Why would Joshua respond that way when everybody's on board? Because Joshua knew something. You cannot serve the Lord. The word cannot, it means to not have the internal ability to act on what you decide. In other words, it's not just as simple as jumping up and down and saying, I believe we will win. I'm not knocking that song. I love that song. That's not the point. But it's not that simple as saying, how how dare you say that about us, Joshua? We also choose to serve the Lord. That's not what I was after. You don't have the ability to guarantee this decision. You're going to make a big mistake at some point, and that's going to get you into trouble for two reasons. Because number one, God is holy, and number two, God is jealous. What does it mean that God is holy? Well, the word holy, first it means unique, and then it means to be morally pure. In other words, God is not like you and me. He doesn't make mistakes. His standard is perfection, and that standard never moves an inch. Never moves an inch. It's not like we fail, and the Lord goes, Ah, it's all right, you know. People fail, you know, and so let's just move that standard a little over here. No. I've never had that come to the Lord. God, I blew it. I've never had the Lord say, ah, no big deal. I've had the Lord wrap me up in his arms and comfort me and tell me I'm forgiven and, and, and tell me that you know, it's paid for and it's all done and, and, and I can move forward again and he'll help me to overcome that. But I've never had the Lord ignore my sin. Joshua responded this way because he sensed a bit of offense in their answer. Never say it. And it's like Joshua goes, I will say it. I will say it. I know you better than that because you've already done it numerous times. Didn't you listen to the history lesson? <laughs> Our history is riddled with bad choices. Our history is riddled with idolatry. So don't get offended when I say it and I question you on where you're at with this. Their answer was right, but it lacked humility because there were compromises already going on. That's what he brought up in chapter 23, right? There were already compromises going on. And if they didn't rein that and any other possible compromises in right now, it will get them into trouble at some point down the road. Because God's holy. He's not just going to overlook your sin. He will not just forgive your transgressions nor your sins. You know, the word there is in the imperfect, which means it views the action of the verb from inside its unfolding. It's not that God wouldn't forgive Israel when they repent. It means he just doesn't overlook and pardon them in and of himself. There's two people involved in the transaction of forgiveness. You know, like, for example, when, when I hear people say, well, you know, well, God's a forgiving God. I'm like, I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. But you're implying that God is a forgiving God and that that transaction of forgiveness is something that is isolated in and of himself. And that's not true. 
God's forgiveness is not just something that's isolated in his goodness and his mercy and his kindness and his grace. We have a part to play and it's called asking forgiveness, confession of sin, humility. So he says, you guys, I'm challenging with this now and you're offended now. You're showing a lack of humility because there are compromises and God's not just going to overlook those things when they become worse down the road. He's a holy God. And secondly, he's a jealous God. The word jealous means it means a desire for exclusivity in a relationship. God knows what's best for us, and that's to be close to him. And because he loves us, he's not going to be okay with anything less than that. So when we decide to opt out of an exclusivity with him, either by dabbling into idolatry or going full on into idolatry, he deals with us. So he says, if you forsake the Lord and you serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he has done you good. They need to not just give a quick answer here, an emotional answer, a hyped up answer. They need to really think about what they're deciding today. And thankfully, they do. For their next response is different. They're not as offended this time. They don't say, never think it or never say it. It says in verse 21, and the people said unto Joshua, nay, semicolon, which means they they waited a moment. The word nay is a marker of emphatic negation. In other words, it's not just that they're saying, no, we won't do what you said. It's, it's an admission. It's like there's a humility in here. It's basically them saying, maybe we can't guarantee we'll never fail, but we don't choose that future, one of just doing our own thing and ignoring the Lord and not coming to him when we blow it. We choose one of humbly following the Lord. We will serve the Lord. And that was good enough for Joshua. So Joshua said unto the people, verse 22, your witnesses against yourselves, you are legal evidence against yourselves if you go against this commitment someday that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we we get it. We understand this is a serious thing. We are witnesses. We are witnesses. Joshua says, if you go back on this, you can't blame me or anybody else. And they were okay with that. And you know, to be okay with that requires quite a bit of humility. So satisfied that the nation is in the right place He tells them to take the appropriate action. Verse 23. Now, therefore, put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. In light of your confession of faith, put away those strange gods and incline your heart unto God. The word incline, it's interesting. It means to bend your ear right to someone's lips so you can hear what they say. In this case, they were to incline their hearts as close to God, this side of heaven, that their heart could possibly be. That's what he's asking them to do. To do that, they need to rid themselves of any compromises, no matter how small they were. And you know what? They were in the right place right now. They've humbled themselves. They're in the right place, and they're okay with that. The people said unto Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve. And here's the difference between their first answer and their second answer. And his voice will we obey. You see the difference there? Earlier in verse 18, they said, we will also serve the Lord for he is our God. And Joshua goes, you can't serve the Lord. And then they think about it. And as he brings it up, they say, you know what? We're going to amend our answer. We will serve the Lord. And his voice, we will obey. And to do that, their heart needed to be right next to his mouth. Their heart needed to be right there with his word so they could know what his word said so they could do it. And that's very different than just being a hypey moment where you go, we'll serve the Lord too. When we gather for church together, it's assumed we want to hear from God, right? So it's okay to be challenged. It's okay to be rebuked because I want what God wants for me. It's okay to be reminded of things we already know. And it's okay to study God's love over and over and over and over again because we need those things. 
You know, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, I love what Paul says to his protege. He says, but you continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of knowing of whom you've learned them. And that from a child, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. For all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be perfect, complete, mature, thoroughly equipped unto every good work. See, the choice, it's not just to pick God instead of Allah or someone else. The choice is to love God with everything in you, to love him supremely, to stay as close to him as possible, not to do just what's necessary to get by. And so as we close out this book and they make that recommitment to the Lord, I ask you, have you made that choice? And are you living it out today? Is your heart near to his voice, near to his word? Is your heart one that says, I will obey his voice? Because in the end, all the principles we've learned about resting in Christ's victory, being courageous, being strengthened, all the lessons we've learned about how to live in Christ's victory, if we don't love God with all that's in us, we won't do any of those things. (laughs) So this is where the most important key is. In verse 25, when they made that commitment, Joshua said, okay. And so he made a covenant with the people that day and he set them a statute. He actually set something up as a law and an ordinance in Shechem. So he actually wrote out their commitment to God this day. Everything that happened this day, what we have recorded here, he wrote it out. And it says Joshua also wrote these words in the book of the law of God. So that's where we get the book of Joshua from. He wrote all these words down in the book of the law of God. And he took a great stone and he set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us. For it has heard all the words of the Lord, which he spoke unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest you deny your God. There was already a copy of the law of Moses written on the rocks here at Shechem from their commitment they made 25 years ago. So now Joshua adds their recommitment to those records, and then he makes this new one in Shiloh where the tabernacle was in service. And he did that because people were more likely to come to the tabernacle than to Shechem. Joshua has this huge rock moved from Shiloh, the rock that heard their words, heard their commitment, and he puts it under this beautiful tree, a tamarisk tree is what the word means there, big, huge, flowing tree that you see in Israel, puts it under the tree right by the tabernacle. Think about it. You come to the tabernacle, maybe it's you're bringing your peace offerings or it's a holy day or something like that. You're there with all your family, beautiful tents there. You smell the barbecue cooking, all the food everybody's brought with them, the bread and everything. And you look over this beautiful tree and there's this rock there, this massive stone sitting over there. Can't ignore it, can you? And at some point, you're gonna be reminded because that rock is impossible to miss of what it represents. That I made a commitment a long time ago, not just to go through the motions, but to be as close to God as possible. That rock source is a pretty good reminder, doesn't it? When I went to Israel, God did a lot of cool things in my life, and I brought home rocks from certain places. And a couple of those rocks heard some words that I spoke. And I, I keep them as witnesses. Keep them visible for me so I can see them and remember the words that I spoke to the Lord when I made certain commitments to Him. It's very hard to forget when you have those reminders. Young people frequently come to me with fears of leaving God when they get older. I hear about how you know, people go to college and they leave the Lord and everything like that. My answer to them is always the same. My kids have come to me about that. I had one of my kids come the other day. I'm scared when I grow up, I won't, I won't believe in the Lord. I won't follow the Lord. And my answer is the same, whether it's to them or to a young adult, anybody. Make a choice every day 
to be as close to Jesus as you possibly can. And I guarantee you will never leave the Lord. (laughs) You'll never leave the Lord. Make that your commitment every day. Well, verse 28. So Joshua's done. He can die now. He let the people depart, every man unto his inheritance. And it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath-serah, which is in Mount Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gaash. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. Joshua had finished his work. It was out of his hands now. And it's a good reminder that you and I cannot make other people serve God. A leader must be content to be faithful, not demand results or try to build a legacy. And yet faithfulness usually does have an impact and Joshua's went beyond his lifetime. And thus Joshua and death is mentioned alongside another person in Israel's history who finished well. Verse 32. And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, they buried there in Shechem in a parcel of ground, which Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver. And it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. This harkens us back to Genesis 50 when Joseph was dying. And he summoned his brothers in. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I'm dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land into the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath, made them swear from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. You don't leave me in some Egyptian fancy, you know, sarcophagus. You bring my bones up from here. And so Joseph died, being 110 years old, same age as Joshua died. And they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. The children of Israel kept their oath. And now they finally bury Joseph in the land that he never got to live in. Talk about trusting God. Joseph had been violently ripped from his family, served as a slave, was wrongfully imprisoned. And even though he was raised to a powerful position in Egypt and was reunited with his family, he never got to go home. But he never denied his trust in God's promise that that was his home. He clung to God's word despite all the trials, despite never seeing the fruit of them in his lifetime. That's called finishing well. Joshua finished well. Joseph finished well. And now the last of that generation dies. Eliezer, he also finished well. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him in a hill that pertained to Phinehas, his son, which was given him in Mount Ephraim. And so now with the death of the high priest, everyone that came out of Egypt is dead. And out of that group, how many of them finished well? I can count on my one hand. Joshua, Moses, Caleb, Eliezer, four. That's not exactly a high percentage, is it? The scriptures teach us that most don't finish well. And that's because most don't make it their goal each day to stay close to Jesus. Like Israel, we say, God forbid we ever do that. But really don't examine ourselves honestly. And thus, even though the generation after Joshua follows the Lord, the next generation that comes up, judges will say, didn't even know who Jehovah was. That sadness will be covered in the book of Judges. So I don't want to depress you in Joshua. Let's leave that for now and let's celebrate the end of Joshua. The end of Eliezer, the end of Joseph. These guys did finish well, which guess what? means we can too. So as we close out this book, let's make that our choice to enter into all God has for us, to experience Christ's victory and to finish well. Amen? Let's all stand. Oh Lord, we are thankful that the percentage of those that finish well isn't zero. (laughs) Yes, Lord, it's easy to see lots of failures, but Lord, there are those who succeeded. There are those who broke the tape at a full run, who finished well. Like Paul said, I've run my race. I've finished the course that you set before me. You know, I've been faithful. 
And henceforth there is laid up for me a crown. So Lord, we know that we can finish well too. And Lord, it's our desire to humble ourselves down and say, Lord, we need you for that. We want to love you with all that's in us every day. We want to love you supremely every day. We've set aside time to come to church today to do that. But then tomorrow, Lord's a new day and we decide today that's going to be the way we, we go tomorrow, to love you with all that's in us, to incline our heart to your voice. That we will not just serve you, but we will obey your voice. And here's the beautiful promise, Lord, that you said. He which has begun a good work in you will complete it under the day of Christ Jesus. Lord, when we come like that to you, we cannot fail because you finish what you start. So Lord, for all the dear saints today who are saying, Lord, I want that to be me. I want to break the tape. I want to finish well. I want to love you supremely. Lord, will you fill them with your spirit? Will you fill them with the, the promise of your word that they will finish well if they just keep clinging to you? Doesn't matter what their struggles are. Doesn't matter what their failures have been. Doesn't matter, matter what their failures might be moving forward. They will finish well because you don't fail. We thank you for that, Jesus. And we give you our trust in all these areas. In Jesus' name. Amen. We all have a choice to make. God desires to bless us with the fullness of who He is. He has proven His steadfast, loyal, unwavering love to us. But we must choose to humble ourselves and come to Him on His terms. We will never save ourselves. No amount of good works or right deeds will atone for our judgment. We can't save ourselves, and we don't have to. In God's great love, He took on the penalty for our sin. And now, if we would just come to Him, turn away from the sin that takes us away from God, and throw ourselves on His mercy and grace, we will be saved. There is blessing in trusting God. There is victory in obeying His word. There is love in having a relationship with Him. All we could ever hope to find in life is found in God. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.